Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, you'll be amazed the lengths we will go to to shoehorn a terrible joke with a spurious link to Madonna, unless you're a regular listener, in which case you will just get into the groove. Like a virgin, I'm talking about InsureTech. Data-focused agencies are making a splash and Hutch are very much in vogue in the moment. We're still talking about the Cyclone reinsurance pool, like a prayer. I'm sorry, that joke's a bit borderline. And take a bow, Madonna. I mean, our Donna. You can express yourself with your recent acquisition in the Australian broking market. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Benice Han, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Benice. Good morning, Andrew. Do you have a favourite Madonna hit? Oh, plenty. <laughs> Hello, Terry. Hello, Andrew. Are you a Madonna fan? Oh, I was a very long time ago. But, you know, when I realised she's not much the same age as me, I thought, why bother? <laughs> And hello, John. Hello. We're without our very own podcast Madonna Wendy this week, aren't we? Yes, that's right. She's on holiday. Well-deserved holiday. Well, on to the other Madonna. Our Donna has made a big move in the Australian broking market, John. This is a big story, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we put out a breaking news on this one quite quite late in, in the day last week. I think it was Wednesday last week at about 7pm because uh, this broke in the UK. So yeah, our readers will have seen that news bulletin coming through. Ardonna is one of the UK's, well, I think it's the UK's biggest independent brokerages. We know them already, of course, because they bought Resilium a while back. But last week, they announced they've acquired Envest, which is a pretty big insurance group that's been expanding rapidly itself recently. It includes the uh, broker group Aviso and several underwriting agencies. And this acquisition apparently worth $482 million. So it really pushes our Donna forward as one of the larger broking groups in Australia now. Terry, I thought there were no more brokerage to buy. How does this change the landscape? Quite a lot, but I, I think the landscape has been changing for a, a fair while now as the, the big uh, foreign brokers start looking at, at these really good Australian businesses. I wrote a maglog piece about this in, in the last issue of uh, Insurance News, really trying to illustrate how the, the cashed-up British brokers like Howden and Ardonna uh, are moving into the market, and I believe they'll move in in a big way. And this was certainly a, a big strategic buy, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see bigger buys in the next couple of years. Maybe it's a post-Brexit thing where the UK's opted to return to the Middle Ages, Andrew. Uh, this is a good time really to start spreading your spare capital around to pick up some strategic foreign brokerages and, and start looking more outward. Uh, Donna's, I notice, is already claiming on its UK website that it's Australia's largest independent intermediary network which is probably right if you add Invest to Resilient and then again to Epsilon. I think they might even be the, the third largest in, in gross written premium terms, but it'd be interesting actually to do a comparison and uh, see. Well, John, the Cyclone reinsurance pool has been up and running since uh, July 1. Why are we still talking about it in November? Yeah, good question. I, I think one of the big reasons is that even though it started in July, it hasn't really started because no insurers have yet joined the pool. So savings haven't yet been working their way down to consumers. So it, there's all, there's almost like a bit of a, a vacuum here where uh, 
debate is just carrying on. The other reason I guess we're still talking about it is because a lot of people aren't happy with it, um, at least the way it's set up at the moment. So uh, there was a, a parliamentary inquiry, which uh, we listened into last last week. There were lots of people giving evidence to that inquiry, insurers, the ICA, consumer groups, the ARPC who are running the pool, you know, the points that were made, they're almost too, too, too many to list, but there was a lot of talk about how the pool is working or isn't working, why insurers haven't joined it more quickly. Uh, the answer to that is it's just hugely complex for them to unwind their current reinsurance arrangements and whether the pool can be expanded to, to cover more risks. Everyone feels differently. Everyone's got a different point of view. But uh, as I think it was the Townsville Chamber of Commerce said, at least we're here talking about it. And that in itself is progress because that didn't happen. In fact, pretty much nothing happened over the previous 10 years. Did I read that Allianz have joined or did I dream that? Allianz have announced that they will join the pool for home insurance as of January the 1st. And I think they're the only insurer to actually give a, a confirmed date for when they'll when they'll sign up. But uh, a lot of the others were saying it, it'll be sort of halfway through next year, most likely. The large insurers have got until the end of next year to join the pool and the smaller insurers have an extra year on top of that. Now, in a World Cup theme, I'm uh, giving an assist to Terry here. If you were in charge of the pool, what would you do with it? Well, I, I don't think my backyard would be big enough, Andrew. Look, I, I think we have little choice but to make the thing work. It won't work possibly as well as, you know, Scott Morrison was trying to sell it. But we've got it now. And look, disaster pools like this have worked well in, in parts of Europe after all, and it may well be that there's a, a place for this pool to cover a wider range of weather risks Australia-wide as time goes by. You know, the ARPC are, are pretty clever, and I don't think that there's any fear that it won't be profitable in, in the end, but we shall have to wait and see. Ask me again in 10 years. <laughs> To be honest, I was expecting a lot more vitriol coming from you. <laughs> I, I really do think that, the, you know, we, we just have to get on and try and make it work. But I, I do think also that if you start playing with it and, and trying to work out ways to make it work, they, they, you know, there are plenty of examples around the world to follow. It just may cost the government a bit more than they think. Well, Bernice, there's a new report out on broker culture. And what are the key findings? Uh, yes, so there are a couple of key takeaways, both good and not so good, of course, in this report from the Insurance Brokers Code Compliance Committee, or IBCCC. So uh, just very quickly, the report examines whether subscribers to the Code of Practice have in place measures that encourage good behaviour and good client outcomes. And one of the key findings that we single out relates to fees and commissions disclosure. This, of course, being very topical since um, the quality of advice review is expected to hand its final report by December 16. Uh, that's just next month. So uh, the report found that more than half or 57% of brokers provide clients with information about fees in plain English with actual disclosures of commissions. Uh, in the most comprehensive examples given, um, brokers reported including the information in detail on client invoices with a full breakdown of premiums, fees and commissions. So this is good practice. The 
IBCCC says, not so good are the ones who provide such information as an attachment to the invoice, usually as a statement of advice, a general advice warning, or in the financial services guide. Well, telling clients about fees and commissions should be par for the course, shouldn't it, Terry? Yeah, but, you know, brokers have always been very wary of disclosure. God knows how many conversations I've had about this in the past 30 years over a bar. But, look, we're we're likely to to get retention of broker commissions, yes. So that's, that's really a big, big plus. Okay, it's going to come with higher levels of disclosure, but it's nevertheless, I reckon, a huge win for brokers. Any fear about disclosure, I think, is a hangover from the old agency days. And I've always thought it's also something that, has held many brokers back from really selling their value to clients or communities because there was always something odd about the way they got paid. So I think that it's going to be a traumatic sort of switch when it comes in for uh, brokers, but I think the long-term effects will be very positive. Well, New South Wales businesses are reporting problems accessing insurance, Benice, and we're not just talking about flood. Uh, yeah, that's right. So obviously flood insurance comes foremost to mind because of all the floods that we've had. Um, but the insurance struggles extend to other lines too. Uh, Business New South Wales says public liability and public indemnity in particular have been a real challenge. And just to recap very quickly here, the insurance struggles have been actually going on for the last couple of years and we've been tracking it here at Insurance News. So uh, most recently, we had a piece on caravan park operators struggling with five-fold rises in rates and insurers turning down new business. And it's all come to a point where Business New South Wales has decided it needs to do something about it. And so the peak body has uh, already started engaging with its members to investigate alternatives that offer potentially better outcomes than uh, traditional insurance products. And while the peak body says it's supportive of the government's uh, federal government's 22.6 million measure to measure to reduce insurance costs in disaster-prone areas, um, Business New South Wales says relying on public funding is not sustainable. So the search is on for better solutions. John, what could these alternatives look like? Good question. Business New South Wales did, didn't really want to talk more about it. So we don't really know at this point. I mean, I guess you're into the realms of mutuals, government schemes, pools. The trouble is premiums in the private market go up for a reason. And if nothing's done to sort of reduce the risk that is leading to high levels of claims and high levels of premiums, then it's always a bit of a battle to do it better. Unless, of course, the government's actually going to put some money in and subsidise it. I I guess it's not dissimilar to the debate we're having over the cyclone pool in that the savings are modest in most cases. And some people point out the reason for that is that the government's not actually aiming to put any money in in terms of subsidies so yeah it'll be an interesting one to watch business new south wales does use the example of the uh, recent industry collaboration with government on decennial liability insurance which is uh, giving apartment buyers 10 years protection against defective building work that was one example they used of a successful outcome where where industry and, and the government works together to 
provide an insurance solution. So, yeah, let's watch this space, really. They're doing a survey, I think, at the moment to get uh, business views, and then then they'll probably take it to the next stage. You know, when you think about it, th- this whole thing is very similar to the, the situation in North Queensland. You could well dust off all those many, many government reports that were made over the last 15 years or so and apply them almost directly in this case. I think this is what it comes down to, is affordability, and it really is going to become an enormous issue for the industry over the next year. I think affordability and capacity. So this is more than just, you know, the hard market? Yeah, I, 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 well, I think this is the impact of, of a very hard market or or a hardening market, even though I think the industry has become a lot more sophisticated about separating out and understanding risks. We're in a position where there are so many factors at play, right from reinsurance right down to inflation and claims. Well, finally, John, what's the latest in insure tech? Can you introduce us to Hutch? Yes, I, I can. So we've got we've got various uh, reports in our InsureTech section this week, but leading them off is uh, an introduction to a new agency called Hutch. They are entering the strata market, and this this business is led by former AXA XL local chief Robin Johnson. Hutch says it's going to use data and technology to really make a difference in the strata market, but it says it's not going to stop there. It's also got its eye on other niche sectors. So yeah, it sounds like they're really looking to get involved in in, in some of these niche areas and use technology and data to really set themselves apart. Well, normally I'd uh, ask our uh, InsureTech expert Miranda this, but uh, Terry, do you think we'll see more tech-focused and data-focused agencies in the future? Yeah, I think it, it's one of those areas that, are, you know, it's going to grow because uh, technology is really a hard edge now for uh, for competition. I think, though, oh, was it yesterday we, we ran a report on saying that there's no longer so much disruption as, as there is collaboration and the larger insurers are, are working as well to to make some of these things happen. But I think in the niches is where the exciting changes in technology are going to come from. Well, on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Terry McMullen, John Deeks, and Bernice Han. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.